When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. Welcome everyone to Soccer Made in Portland. Uh, Huge week for the Timbers and Thorns. I don't think either me or Caitlin uh, predicted this, but we're going to have a lot to talk about. (laughs) We didn't predict anything that happened. It was a really rough start for us. Yeah. uh, (laughs) At least in terms of me joining, but... You know, since I've joined, both teams have been pretty dominant. So I'm going to, you know, take that as a feather in my cap. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if I included it in our uh, our mental notes here, but I, I think someone pointed out just how dominant the teams have been since we announced that you'd be on the show. Um, just <laughs> in terms of Timbers making the U.S. Open Cup semifinals, these big wins, uh, beating Seattle, the Thorns side beating Houston. So um, maybe you're a good luck charm. We'll yeah, see. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> we'll see. Well, let's start with a really I- important question um, <laughs> from Zero BM. Uh, wants to know before we get into our Galaxy recap, Caitlin, are burritos the best or bestest food ever? I appreciate the question. I've joked on Twitter that I'm turning Soccer Made in Portland to a food podcast. And with every question that you guys ask, I'm slowly <laughs> ensuring that that happens. Um, Burritos are amazing. I love burritos. And I mean, it's not the hot take segment yet, but I think you have a pretty hot take about burritos, (laughs) which is that you don't like them. Um, But they're incredible. I mean, if, if I had the choice, I would go with nachos. I like the, you know, the crunch mixed with sort of the creaminess and meltiness that's inside a burrito. Um, But yeah, burritos are amazing. I just, I really do like Mexican food. I just like quesadillas, enchiladas, just a really cheesy, but maybe less rice in there. Uh, yeah, I, I don't like rice in my burritos. I will also say that Mexican food to me is like the same exact like seven ingredients just put in different vehicles <laughs> to yeah. arrive. So burrito yeah. maybe isn't my number one vehicle i would go with nachos but i mean all of mexican food is amazing so yeah. i think it's, we can kind of agree on that yeah it, it's a lower level vehicle for me um Got there's it. a lot okay. above it but I, I definitely like the ingredients of which <laughs> create one uh yeah so that was really important uh we had to yeah, get I'm that, glad out, we of got that out of the way yeah. <laughs> um just like you said turning this into a food podcast uh but <laughs> Let's talk a little bit of soccer uh, along with, you know, the food conversation. And let's start with the Timbers versus Galaxy. I, I guess we haven't talked about if we're going to get points or not. I, I, yeah, I'll kind of live it up to that, you. But I guess, well, uh, 
it's technically your podcast, so um, <laughs> feel free to give out points. You know, we can switch off. I don't really know how the point system works. I you know, might be going out on a limb here, but I think it might be arbitrary. I think it, the points it, might it, not mean they anything. They might be that. I, I think um, since we haven't talked about this, let's not do points this week and see see where we go from here. We'll, we'll see if we're going to go on the same uh, point system that Chris Reifer started or, or think of something new. This will this will kind of just be a first week look at our, our predictions. Yeah. I think listeners, <laughs> if you have ideas on how we should do this, please let us yeah, know. <laughs> please. Um, plus I don't think we would have got many points either of us. No. Uh, <laughs> if negative points was an option, I would definitely be able to run it. Hey, they might be. We'll see what the listeners think. Uh, yeah. I predicted a two, two draw versus the galaxy with uh, Zlatan getting a brace and Caitlin, you predicted a one zero <laughs> galaxy win. Uh, with a goal from a penalty that the Timbers conceded. That didn't happen. <laughs> yeah, we were wrong. I, there's nothing really more to say about that. I will say, and you know, we're going to get into the discussion of the game. I was a little surprised with the way the Galaxy came out in that game. I think they were a little naive in their approach. They sort of played into the Timbers' hands by trying to go into Providence Park and being the dominant team. And that's just... Not something that teams usually do when they go into Portland and have a lot of success. So I was a little surprised by that. But, I mean, the Galaxy have, I think, the fewest draws of any team in MLS. They always want to win. They're always going for it. And in this case, I think it actually worked in the Timbers' favor. Yeah, let's talk a little bit more about that, I guess, to start. I mean, obviously, like you said, the the Galaxy come out, they try to attack a little bit more, and and the Timbers punish them, winning 4 to nothing. But when you look at it, I mean, the teams that came in and really sat back, Colorado and Orlando, are definitely weaker teams. The Galaxy Mm -hmm. is third in the Western Conference right now. You saw when LAFC came in, they came in trying to attack. They weren't going to sit back either. Do you think that teams coming into Providence Park right now should, even if they are consider themselves a good team, I, I mean, is it pretty much, do you see that as the only option right now to beat the Timbers at Providence Park? Or, or can teams beat the Timbers by coming out to attack like the Galaxy did? Well, I, I think that, you know, you look at Orlando and Colorado sitting and you say, well, it's because they were inferior teams. And I think that's true. I think that's why they did it. But they had success because of, the way they chose to play. And I think the Galaxy and uh, Guillermo Barros-Scoloto were confident enough in their abilities and the way that they play that they didn't feel that they had to do that. And I think the Timbers proved that wrong. I think it's okay to go on the road and play for a draw. And the Galaxy just don't really do that. The Galaxy are always pushing for the win. And I think that was a mistake. I think you can be a quality team and kind of accept that it's okay to play conservatively, to go on the road, to go to a place like Portland and to concede that possession, to kind of force the Timbers to be the dominant team. Because one of the things we talked about going into this game was we wanted to see the Timbers prove that they could be the dominant team at home. And that's not really how the game played out. It was pretty even in terms of possession, passes, touches, all of those things were relatively even. So I don't know that the Timbers have proven they can beat a bunkering team. I think that is still an option on the table for teams coming into Portland that this is a way that you can beat the Timbers. So I don't know if we learned what we wanted to learn from this game in terms of the Timbers showing that they can beat bunkering teams. 
Yeah, I, I mean, I, I definitely agree with this. The Galaxy didn't come in and try to bunker. I, I think I wasn't surprised to see the Galaxy with a little bit of a more attack-minded approach than Colorado or Orlando just because of the type of team they are and, and the talent that they have. Uh, mm-hmm. But I, I think there has to be a balance for teams coming in, and you see that with even the way Giovanni Savaresi approaches certain games. He's willing to make adjustments based on the other team. He, he's not going to say, oh, yeah, we're just the better team, so we're going to try to dominate this game. If he thinks the Timbers can win by being, which they are often, uh, the team that counterattacks and, and concedes possession, uh, that's what he's going to do. And yeah. so, yeah, I, I think the Galaxy definitely should have made different adjustments. Um, and, and I also think right now with the way the Timbers are playing, it just seems like, any team that's willing to give them space, willing to try to attack and open and therefore open up those spaces, allow the Timbers if they have the counterattack or even uh, just because um, the other team isn't putting as many numbers in the box, allow the Timbers to find that space to uh, have combination plays, to um, create things in the attack. The Timbers are taking advantage of that against every team. And, and when that's the approach right now, the Timbers seem almost unbeatable. Yeah. I mean, the Timbers are a counterattacking team, and that we've known that that's when they are their best. So to put yourself in a position where you're allowing them to do that, I think, again, is just naive. It was the wrong approach, and, you know, the Galaxy got punished for it. Um, I think one thing that almost got lost in this game, because there were so many talking points, uh, but I think is really important, is that the Timbers moved above the red line. And, and mm-hmm. that's the first time they've been in playoff position uh, since I, I mean maybe week one if you if you want to count that as they got that draw <laughs> when so. everyone was yeah yeah essentially in playoff <laughs> position so um how big is that to finally get see them get over that sort of hump um I I don't think it's that big I mean it, it's an important uh benchmark for the Timbers I mean I'm sure when they plotted out the season at some point during this home stretch they wanted to be above the red line I'm sure at some point around now is when they plan to do it. Maybe a little bit earlier. They had some surprising results. Um, but then again, they got some wins on the road that I don't think anyone would have expected. So I, I think at this point, it's probably going according to plan. I mean, there's still so much of the season left that it's it's hard to look at that and say that it means anything in terms of their hopes for the playoffs or MLS Cup. But I think it's probably what they wanted to do. This is an important step, and I think getting a win at home, even though we talked about how the Galaxy sort of played into the Timbers' hands, I think getting a win like that at home is a big confidence boost, and confidence is so important in soccer. Kind of Confidence is the intangible thing that sort of lets you play the way you want to play. The passes come a little bit easier. The shots are a little more brazen. Um, it, it makes you a better team to feel confident, and I think the team has to feel really confident right now. Yeah, I, I think confidence is obviously important. And I, I think it is really important for them to be above the red line at this point. I, I think when you look at individual results, maybe this is a right around this part of the season that they thought they'd be moving above the red line, but they've had opportunities and they haven't been able to make the most of it till now. They haven't been able to get over um, that hump and to finally be in that playoff position and feel like they're only moving up. I, I think that is really important for the team. Uh it, it, they have, I think, I would say that LAFC is completely out of reach at this point, but they yeah. really have the opportunity, I think, to to finish anywhere between 
um, up to second in, in the conference. And um, just yeah. getting into seventh place to, to sort of show that they're now in that mix, um, I think it's a big step for the team. Yeah, I think so. And I, I would also say, I don't think we know at this point who, you know, LAFC is obviously the best team in the West. I think the pecking order for the rest of the league is sort of wide open, especially because yeah. the Timbers have played on the road so much. Now is the opportunity where they're going to be able to show kind of where they stand with the rest of the league and have it reflected in the standings. So Aaron wanted to know, um, obviously this was a really exciting game this weekend, but for you, where does this sort of rank among Timbers versus Galaxy games over the years? Because there uh, has been some big ones. Is there anything, any games that were better than this for you? Well, I actually want to hear your take on this because you have covered the Timbers longer than I have, you know, in a capacity where you've been paying close attention to these things. So I'm kind of curious where you would rank it before I, you know, give my take. I don't, I didn't come up with like a specific ranking of all the games. Um, obviously there's, I think Andrew Jean Baptiste's goal where, where Caleb Porter, where there's that meme where <laughs> Caleb Porter is screaming at Bruce oh, Arena, yeah. which is a pretty exciting game. But for me, the game, that's that, my favorite gif. Yeah, yeah <laughs> that is my favorite gif. My, the game that ranks first, and I, I would definitely put, um, Saturday's game up there. Uh, but the game that ranks first for me is still that 2015 game in LA because uh, that game sort of had it all. And in terms of importance, uh, definitely ranked higher than this match. Uh, Timbers win 5-2 in LA. Diego Chara scores on a header, of all things. Um, and <laughs> it kind of propels the Timbers into... Um, they had just won in Salt Lake, but they win in the Galaxy, and that really propelled them into what ended up being their MLS Cup run. They go on to win uh, their final game of the season and then have that incredible run in the playoffs. So yeah, it's yeah, hard for, are, to beat that. Yeah, those are good good shouts. I mean, one thing I will say, and this, this is not the hot take segment, but I think the Timbers-Galaxy rivalry is a really underrated rivalry like people don't really think of it as one because usually the rivalries are teams that are sort of next to each other geographically I think the Timbers and the Galaxy every time they play there's always a little extra spice to it like the the shooting stars video that the Galaxy (laughs) put out where they made fun of uh Chara and Guzman for um I think diving and kind of getting Van Damme yellow carded out of the game. I mean, I think to this day, that's probably one of the funniest, best uh, memes that have been put out by an MLS team trolling another team. And I mean, that's sort of the Galaxy Timbers rivalry in a nutshell at this point. And this might be a little bit of a hot take, but I think in the last few years, I look forward to Timbers Galaxy more than I do Timbers Whitecaps. I just think that there's something about these games between the Galaxy and the Timbers that are always so fun. And I mean, that game ended this weekend with a shoving match. I didn't even really see what happened. I just found out that some players got red cards. I mean, this is clearly a real rivalry. (laughs) Um, Did you see what happened? Like, I I feel like everyone just sort of missed what happened with that. I I think everyone did. And I've been trying to look for a replay because we got some questions on that. And I haven't found one. Um, And it was very difficult from our view in the press box. And because you're not expecting that to happen. So you're not looking directly on that Yeah, I mean, the game is over, guys. Go back to the Um, locker room. (laughs) So if someone has a video of that, I would love to see it. But as of now, it was just some... Uh, interaction with uh, Espria 
and I guess uh, Polenta, but I really don't know exactly what happened that led to them both getting red yeah. carded. Yeah, I, I mean, Timber's Galaxy. Like, I would move <laughs> that I move that above Timber's Whitecaps, and that might be a hot take. Yeah. I'd love to hear what fans think, <laughs> but I just think these games are a lot more fun these days. So, yeah, I mean, it didn't disappoint this weekend, that's for sure. Well, the big, obviously, going into the game, we talked a lot about Zlatan and what impact he could have. His impact was very limited. I, the Timbers, I think, did <laughs> a great impact job. was complaining a lot, I think. <laughs> yeah, complaining, hanging out around the box, not getting crosses. Um, they, they, this team had a lot of trouble getting anything to him, not having many chances in the game at all. Um, but what do you think the Timbers were able to do to shut him down? Well, I do think we have to give a lot of credit to Steve Clark in that game because Zlatan did have one chance at, like, I was shocked it wasn't a goal. You have to give credit to Steve Clark. He had an amazing game. And I think some of those saves were the difference between the Galaxy getting back into that game, between the game state changing, and the Timbers just running away with it. So Steve Clark played a big role in that game. I think that um, the way the Galaxy came out... um, you know, they had some of their players that had played um, on a short turnaround in this game. And I think, you know, again, going back to the idea that it was a little naive, I don't know if all of the Galaxy players had their legs under them. Um, they were trying to push, and I just don't think that it worked out the way they envisioned. Um, I think another part of it is that the Timbers were so much more clinical with their passing, with their transition play than some of the games that we've seen recently that I think it made it really difficult for the Galaxy to sort of get into the rhythm and play the sort of game that they wanted. Yeah, I I think I agree with that. I also think you have to call out Julio Cascante and the job he did defending Zlatan, Mm -hmm. especially because... We've been so, I mean, obviously you haven't been on the show for that long, but we've been so critical of Julio Cascante on this show. And, and you see people on Twitter talking about it. And, and I, I think that was deserved. I mean, there were so many times that he made big errors that led directly mm-hmm. to goals. Um, but since he's come back into the starting lineup this time around, I think he's been really effective. And, and with his size, with his ability to be physical, Zlatan's a really tough player to shut down. But I think... Julio Cascante sort of took that job and, and really found a way to to do it. Um, I, I think obviously, like I mentioned earlier, the, the Galaxy, um, and that, I think that speaks to some of the things you said, that their crosses were off. I, I mean, they yeah. really struggled at trying to put the ball in places that Zlatan could even make an impact. So I think there's an element that's maybe that's on them. Maybe that's um, some credit to Jorge Marrera, Jorge Villafania. Uh, but for me, the player that stood out, it is Julio Cascante and kind of the performance he had there. Yeah, I think Cascante or Mabiala were always there on Zlatan's back to make things difficult for them. And I haven't been on the show, but I've been right with you in terms <laughs> of Cascante hasn't been very consistent. I've had a lot of questions and concerns about him, but credit where credit is due. I thought he definitely had a very good game against the Galaxy. So you brought up uh, Clark. I brought up Cascante. Maybe that's going to be the answer to this question. But for you, looking at that game, um, do you have a player of the game that stands out? Yeah, I mean, for me, it's uh, Paredes. Um, you know, I'm, I'm going to bring in another listener question, actually. Megan asked, how excited are you to never have to talk about the wins without Charistat <laughs> again? And 
I will, I'll take the, the blame for that, for that stat. Um, you know, in 2017, when he went down in Houston during the playoffs, I thought, oh, that, this seems like a problem. The Timbers aren't going to have Chara for uh, the rest of the playoffs. I wonder when the last time they won without him was. So I looked up the stat. It was 2015, tweeted it out. Did not think that it would still be a stat we'd be talking about in 2019. So, so that's um, that's sort of crazy. But I think the reason for that stat, I mean, part of it you have to say is maybe that's an anomaly. Maybe it's just sort of luck that the Timbers, or you know, bad luck that the Timbers were never able to win without Diego Chara. But I think there's no question that Diego Chara has been an incredibly important player for this team. And it's been sort of a question for the past couple years. What is the succession plan? What do they do when Diego Chara eventually, it doesn't really seem like it's happening anytime soon, but eventually he's not going to be able to play the way he does anymore. And I think Paredes showed that he can be an answer there. He can be the sort of all-around player that Diego Chara is. Because the thing that makes Charo so good is that it's not just one thing that he's good at. You know, he he finds fires and puts them out. He wins the ball, but he can also attack. It's also his passing, his shooting, his runs. And I think Paredes showed in this game that he can do all of that. And people are going to look at his goals and kind of focus on that. But I think it was more than just his goals. I thought he had a fantastic game, and he is someone who has really taken a leap forward this year. I mean, last year, we saw some potential. He sort of fell out of favor. There were questions about, you know, what happened to him, if he was going to be able to make a leap forward. And this season, he's clearly done that. So, I mean, for me, I think this was a breakout performance for Paredes. Yeah, um, absolutely. Breakout performance for him. I I was going to say that, uh, call him out as the player as well. So I'll talk about someone else. But I I will say, um, yeah, bringing up all the things that Paredes did in that game outside of just the scoring the goals, I think he also uh, was second in the team in touches and and passes. And he was first in the team in recoveries with something like uh, 11 or 12. So there's a lot of defensive and transitional work that he's doing that mm-hmm. you're not going to notice. No one really would have been writing about him, I think, like we did if he hadn't also been able to get forward and attack and score those goals. But like you said, he deserves a lot of credit for a lot more than just the goals. Um, for me, I, another player I would uh, highlight, and we already talked a little bit about him, is Steve Clark. And not just in this game. I, I mean, I think he came up huge in this game again to make sure the Timbers at a critical moment uh, didn't allow the Galaxy to get back in this game and instead were able to get to the point where, where they continued scoring goals. Uh, he made a huge save. I, I haven't seen the goal of the week or the save of the week uh, competition yet and how that's, how that's turning out, but it easily could have been save of the week. But he has been tremendous for the Timbers. The Timbers, Mike Donovan tweeted this out, are 11-1-2 this season overall when Steve Clark is in the net. And obviously some of that is just the form of how the team's been. But you look at some of the saves he's made, even making a penalty kick save earlier this season. Um, I know Adanella came in as the starter, and it's really unfortunate he just had a season-ending surgery. But... Clark has really proven that he can get the job done for this team. And he's been uh, more than just a player in the net. I mean, I think the Timbers have won games because of how he's played. 
Yeah, and I think it's all the more important that he's been in such good form now that we know that Jeff Attenella Mm -hmm. is out for the season because we were kind of wondering. He's been out of the lineup. Kendall McIntosh has been the backup goalkeeper on the bench. It's kind of a question when Jeff Attenella is coming back, and now we know that he's not. So um, it's really important that Steve Clark is playing the way he is um, because the Timbers don't really have another great option right now anymore. Yeah. Um, So the Timbers have been the top three teams in the West over the last two and a half weeks. Um, Seattle, uh, Galaxy, and then, of course, LAFC. Um, That was in the U.S. Open Cup, but but LAFC and the Timbers, I think, both really went for that game. What what do you think that says about this team? And do you think now, looking at where the Timbers are at, are are you starting to think about the fact that uh, this team might be making another run to something like MLS Cup or or at least a deep playoff run? I think they can. I think... The change in the playoff format has kind of left me wondering how that is going to change things. Because, I mean, one of the things about MLS Cup is that you always sort of get these surprising runs. Or or it's not that shocking when a low-seeded team makes it to MLS Cup. I think the whole point of the redesign of the playoffs is to sort of change that and make it harder for those improbable runs to happen. So, you know... That sort of lingers in the back of my mind when I think about how far this team can go. But when I look at the way that they play when they're playing well, I would say they're a top team in MLS. I think the question, and we've already sort of mentioned this in in this podcast and we talked about it last week, is I'm still not totally confident that the Timbers can break down a team that chooses to bunker, that chooses to play a more defensive approach. And when you're in a one-game situation, why wouldn't teams do that? If teams felt they were overmatched, why wouldn't they just bunker and, you know, try to scrape by and maybe, you know, steal steal the game in overtime or steal the game in penalty kicks? I think it totally changes the dimension of the playoffs. If we're just going on the talent that the Timbers have and their ability when they're playing well – There's no question to me, yes, they can make a run, but I still need to see more from them. I I need to see that they can beat teams in different ways, and we haven't seen that yet. And I remember last year, you know, Giovanni Savarese really went out of his way to try to evolve the Timbers because they had gotten a lot of success by playing the sit-and-counter approach. And Gio recognized that that wasn't enough. The Timbers needed to have more you know, clubs in their proverbial bag. And there were a lot of growing pains in that. They had the luxury of being able to try to figure that out because they just kept racking up points. They went on, I'm trying to remember, was it an 11-game unbeaten streak? I think so. So they had the luxury of being able to maybe sacrifice short-term results to sort of figure out a different way to approach these games. I think the Timbers at this point still need to keep getting points. They still need to keep winning games. And... I don't know if they're going to resolve that by the time MLS Cup gets here and playoffs get here. I think they can, but I still have questions about it. Yeah, I think the new playoff format gives uh, a huge advantage to the teams that finish first or second in the league because going on the road, even for a team like the Timbers with how well they're playing on the road, is difficult. And if you have to do that through your entire playoff run and it's single elimination – I just don't see many teams coming from seventh and being able to make, or even sixth and being able to make a run all the way to MLS Cup. So in that sense, um, 
I think this is going to be difficult unless the Timbers really do, as you said, uh, continue racking up points and, and push themselves in, into a seed where they're at least going to host a game or two in the playoffs. And, and then Michael had asked, um, "Do the is it that the Timbers do the Timbers play up against tough opponents like New York, Seattle, Galaxy, and play down against the easy ones, Orlando, Colorado? And if so, how does the rest of the regular season look?" And I, I think you touched on that. For me, it's not that they play up against the, those good teams and down against the bad teams. It's that. The bad teams have come in with an approach where they said, where they're saying it's okay that we're going to tie. Yeah. Uh, we just want to get a result here, and they're using a different approach against the Timbers. And I think right now, with the way the Timbers are playing, they're going to see more and more of that until they prove that they can um, get past it. And, and mm-hmm. depending on whether or not they can get past that, uh, it's going to also depend on where they sort of finish in the standings. So there are still questions for me on this Timbers team um, just because we haven't seen them break down that approach. But based on talent alone, I I think they are one of uh, capable of being one of the top teams in the league. Yeah. And I'm curious to see if good teams start taking the approach that the Orlando's and the Colorado's do, because once you have a good team that's doing that, it's going to be that much harder because the thing about the game against Orlando is the Timbers actually very well could have won that. You take away a mistake that they made, you know, finish your chances a bit better. Timbers could have won that. But what is it going to be like against an actually good team that takes that sort of approach? We'll we'll see. I mean, that's sort of the lingering question at this point. Speaking about a good team the Timbers are going to face, Minnesota is a good team, it, se- it seems to be, this year. Um, that is a new Weird call, to say. To say. <laughs> yeah. Weird to say, but the Timbers are going to face Minnesota on Sunday, uh, 1 p.m., and then they're going to face them again in Minnesota uh, on Wednesday in the semifinals of the U.S. Open Cup. So uh, I think the Timbers are going to need, uh, the players are going to need everyone to send them sightseeing recommendations or something because they're going to be in <laughs> they're Minnesota. They're going to be there for a while, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's their first of seven games in August, uh, first of two games, obviously, in Minnesota. It's going to be a really busy month. But looking at this game in particular, let, let's start there. Um, how do you think that Gio is going to prioritize this game, given that the U.S. Open Cup's on Wednesday? Is he going to play similar lineups in both, go all out for one or the other? What, what are your thoughts? Well, the Timbers have never made it to an Open Cup final before. And I think this is a great opportunity to do something that the club has never done before. So when you map out the season, you probably expect to lose away games, um, especially games where you are going to have a midweek game along with it. Even though it is an Open Cup game, I think if you're mapping out the season, the game in Minnesota might be one that you just sort of count on losing anyway. So I sort of think at this point in the season, with the Timbers above the red line at this point, you maybe prioritize the Open Cup more. I think it might be close. I mean, different clubs prioritize these things differently. I think at this point in the season, an Open Cup semifinal is more important than a regular season MLS game in Minnesota. So I would think that you'd probably put out your first choice lineup for the Open Cup game and then maybe use some reserves. So maybe for the MLS game, maybe we'll see Valentin playing that game. Um, you know, maybe Tuloma. I think we could see some rotation in some of those positions where they have the depth. 
Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. I will be shocked if we see the top team on Sunday and not on Wednesday. I think the Timbers are going to go out for the U.S. Open Cup here. And I think because they're playing the same team Sunday as when, as Wednesday, that puts them in a situation where I think they have to rotate for Sunday mm-hmm. because it doesn't – if they were playing a different team, maybe they say we're going to push our guys to go Sunday and Wednesday. But you don't want to have the exact same lineup and exact same approach against the same team in, in four days. Uh, you want to have some changes. So I expect a rotated lineup Sunday. I expect them to go all out Wednesday. And I expect them to push as many players as they feel uh, are able to go back in Vancouver uh, next Saturday or against Vancouver next Saturday. Uh, but so, I think the U.S. Open Cup's a big game this week. You probably know better than me. Uh, I, I feel like I'm still sort of catching up from my time away. Have the Timbers said that they feel that the Open Cup is important that they're going to go for it? Or are we sort of guessing here just based on the fact that they've advanced this far and they're pretty close to the final at this point? I mean, they've said it's important. Geo said it has said every game's important. Um, so yeah, that, that sounds that, like a Geo answer. Yeah, so take that as you will. But I think just looking how Geo's approached the U.S. Open Cup games, you can tell that they're going for it a lot more than they did under Caleb Porter. Got it. Okay. The one other thing before we hit just a few listener questions I wanted to to talk about is Minnesota. Um, I, I said, obviously, with surprise that Minnesota is in playoff <laughs> position. They're doing pretty well. I think they're in fifth place right now. Why? Why? <laughs> what happened? Where, where's this turnaround from? So... Minnesota has never really been a defensively organized team. I think when they joined MLS, they were the worst defensive team in the league, I think for two years running. (laughs) They have made some acquisitions that have really helped out a lot. Uh, One of them is uh, very familiar to Timbers fans, Ozzy Alonso, former Sounder. He's been an important piece for them. And I think what we've seen this season is that they've – sort of embraced a sit-and-counter approach, which is the exact same style that the Timbers sort of rode to MLS Cup last year. So I think that it's interesting to think about these games because Minnesota's at home, sort of what you expect from teams in MLS is that if you're at home, you're going to come out and dominate. But I think the loons have been better when they've sat back more and conceded possession a little bit more. So I'm curious to see how they are going to approach these games, if they're going to be the aggressor, if they're going to try to continue the sit-and-counter approach. I think, you know, the Timbers, they feel comfortable with the sit-and-counter approach too. So you could have two teams where neither of them really wants the ball. But I think this could be a good opportunity for the Timbers if Minnesota does that sort of show, um, you know, what we've been talking about, that they can get around bunkering teams. Uh, we'll we'll see if maybe Minnesota or the Timbers decide, okay, we're going to approach the weekend game this way and then the Wednesday game this way. Um, if they mix it up, if they go for consistency, I don't know. I mean, the fact that it's back-to-back games against the same team is sort of weird and, yeah. and sort of leads us to have a lot of possibilities we can speculate on. Yeah, uh, I absolutely agree with sort of Minnesota becoming a better defensive team and, and getting a player like Alonzo, getting a player like Ike Opara too. I, I think what yeah. they did is they got some MLS veterans to kind of solidify their defense uh, and have kind of been whatever works in the attack. Uh, they've just been finding a way to get something done. 
Um, Cantero ne- hasn't necessarily been the superstar that they want him to be, but with the defense a lot more stable, I, I think they've been able to pick up results. So um, I agree with pretty much everything you said. I don't want to uh, just repeat. Uh, so let's move on to some listener questions. The first from Mike, uh, I'll just answer the first half of this. He says, do the Timbers have a negotiated deal for Paredes? Uh, Paredes is here on a two-year loan, um, a, 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 a loan at least that was extended through this year um, with Club America. The Timbers have not signed him, but there's an option to buy in that contract. And I, I think it's pretty clear that the Timbers are, are working on making that deal happen. I absolutely expect them to sign Paredes uh, officially at some point. The other question that Mike wanted to know is what has caused Jorge Marrera to improve to this point in the season? I, so I don't actually know if Marrera has necessarily improved. I think what he's been doing for the past month is what he's been doing since he got in Portland, which is racing up the flanks, pumping balls into the box, crossing. I think the difference I see is that having players like Paredes, like Fernandez, Players who can uh, kind of win the second ball off those crosses has made them more useful, and the Timbers have been able to do more with what Maria is doing than they were able to before. Um, I mean, crossing is sort of a really imprecise way to attack. I mean, it's a good way to lose possession. Um, it's pretty much what Marrera brings to the team is, um, in one game, I mean, he's crossing the ball constantly, but I think if you have guys who can sort of capitalize on the chaos that Marrera's crosses creates, I think that makes him more effective. And I think it makes it more useful that he's doing that. But I mean, I don't know. What what do you think, Jamie? I, I think defensively he's gotten a lot better. I think you're right. He's doing the same. The, the, what makes his game good is what he's doing in the attack, and I think he's been doing the same thing in the attack this entire season. It's just getting better because of chemistry and the way the Timbers are playing in the attack and the personnel they have right now. I think defensively he's gotten a lot more consistent. Um, yeah, Losing true. his marks early in the season, it, there were some goals that the Timbers conceded, I, I think, that were solely on him and, and – it was really questionable as if if his defense was going to be so, so much of a liability if they could even put him on the field. I think he sorted that out, whether it's just from adapting to Portland over time or just the fact that the entire, Timbers' entire defense has gotten better. Um, but I think he's become a more complete player, and yeah, yeah. It, it's working. And it, as long as he's okay defensively, everything, like you said, he can do in the attack – uh, yeah, it's funny that the, they ask a question about Marrera, and immediately I just think of like his crossing yeah. and his getting forward. Yeah. Uh, that's true, though. He did have some rough defensive performances yeah. when he first arrived. I think defending is one of those things where the more uh, a defensive unit plays together, the more reps you get with a team, I think the more you kind of feel comfortable yeah. in that role. So, yeah, I definitely think that could be part of it. Um, Stu and Brent had similar questions, so I'll just put it together. Obviously, we're in the transfer window. Um, Brent wants to know, is Polo on his way out? Uh, do you expect him to, to be out before the trade deadline? And then what other moves will happen? Is, is there a position specifically going to what Stu wanted to know that you think the Timbers need to look at? 
Well, I have I have a few thoughts, but I want to hear uh, what you have to say, because I imagine you've probably been thinking about this a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I think Polo should be on his way out at some point, but I don't know if it's going to be now uh, yeah. at this moment. I, I think it's clear with Luria stepping up and Abobasi moving out wide that what Polo was contributing is not necessarily the t- thing the Timbers need. Um, yeah. So... I don't know. I, I mean, it, it's interesting that he hasn't been able to break back in uh, to the 18. Uh, Savarese said today that it wasn't for any uh, other reasons what, that people might be speculating, that it really had to do with him coming back from Copa America and the form he was in. Take that as you will. Mm. But I, I'm not sure where he fits in this team in the long run. So I, I guess I wouldn't yeah. be surprised if he was on his way out now or at the end of the season, but I would be... I think it would more likely just let his loan expire um, after the end of the season when I, I believe it would be up at that point. Um, in terms of positional needs, I've actually been thinking about this, and, and it's I think right now wherever the Timbers look, it's sort of a luxury. I think they could add another wide player that they think would be more effective, some a player that could come off the bench, and um, since they got rid of Milano, since Polo isn't really doing what they need, um, I, I think a goal scorer in a wide position could be good, but mm-hmm. but the Timbers are really in a position where it's a luxury if they sign someone because right now the way they're playing, it feels like they have a lot of depth in a lot of positions. Yeah, I, I think I agree. Polo has not been productive in the way I think anyone sort of hoped when he arrived. I, I don't really see a future for him on the team. Um, I, I do think that the Timbers can defensively maybe upgrade. I know that we've gotten some better performances out of players mm-hmm. like Julio Cascante, and we have seen them use the depth that they have. I still think that Cascante, Mabiala, Tulioma, definitely Dielna, I, I don't know if I'm super confident about the consistency that those guys offer. I also think that the back line is still kind of missing something that they haven't gotten back since Ridgewell left, which is a player who can play out of the back and deliver line-breaking passes and kind of provide that sort of extra dimension uh, to being part of the back line. So I think they could upgrade there. I don't know that there's an urgency, that it's something they need to get done right away. And I think in light of learning that Jeff Attenell is out for the season. Uh, I wonder what what they do there because I, I don't know if Kendall McIntosh is, you know, the guy that you want starting if something happens to Steve Clark. Um, we have seen that injuries have sort of given goalkeepers for the Timbers chances and then they've sort of run with it. I mean, Jake Gleason uh, sort of stepped into a starting role when um, – Adam Quarcy, I think he hurt his hand or something, if I recall. So, I mean, maybe Kendall McIntosh could step into that role and do a great job. Maybe the Timbers want to get something a little more solid. Um, But also what's happening with the Slovenian goalkeeper that they signed? Didn't he have some injuries he was dealing with? Yeah, I, I think with Ivicic's, um Yeah, I wasn't going to try to say his name. <laughs> I think that he could be, he sh- is going to, I think, be the backup. And, and the Timbers thought really highly of him. But the question is, is he healthy? I, I mean, he's training today. He's back in. But uh, a week ago, I think he was dealing with a back injury. And obviously, uh, he had the injury earlier this season. So 
getting him healthy has been an issue, I I think, for this team. Uh, He obviously hasn't been able to make an appearance yet. He he has with T2. Um, So I think the hope is that he can be the backup. And if he's as good as they felt like he was coming in, that that could be a solid option for them. But, yeah, you're right. I mean, with um, Kendall McIntosh as an option, I I just don't I don't know if he really would be uh, a good enough option for the Timbers. I mean, he's been here so long, and clearly the Timbers haven't felt like he's been ready to move on to the MLS level. So if yeah. Ivicic can't sort of work through the injuries, that, that probably would raise some more questions. But he, he wasn't training today, so we'll see if that sort of backup goalkeeper changes. It, it has been McIntosh for the last few weeks. Um, Greg wants to know one final question. Uh, all-star game is on Wednesday. Obviously, I, I think some people are going to be listening to the pod on Wednesday. Diego Chara is there. Uh, Giovanni Savaresi says they already don't have any minutes. He will play and Chara will meet them in Minnesota. Uh, the, t- the MLS all-stars are playing Atletico Madrid. And so that raises a question. Greg wants to know, what would, how would you like to see the All-Star game formatted? East versus West, MLS versus League MX, or having them bring in a club like they do now uh, from Europe or, or wherever they look uh, to play the MLS All-Stars every year? So I'm going to be honest, and maybe we can just <laughs> fold this into the hot take segment. I could not care less, and they could just cancel the All-Star game for <laughs> all I care. Like, It's not fun to watch. It's not interesting. Probably the most important thing about All-Star Week is the fact that I know all the MLS owners and Board of Governors have meetings, their parties, you know, live podcasts. Um, I think everything other than the All-Star Game (laughs) is interesting about All-Star Week. So just cancel the All-Star Game for all I care. I don't care what they do. Yeah, I, I would like East versus West, but I, I don't have a strong opinion about the All-Star game either. Um, <laughs> okay. I think if you're going to do it, just have it be the All-Stars of the league. Why, why bring out an outside team? People would care even less if that's, if that's what they did. Sure, so. but an All-Star game is for the league anyways. Like, uh, I yeah. don't know. I get, I get it. I get why they did this, but I think there's enough talent in the league to make it interesting. At least, like... Baseball, you get home field advantage for the World Series. I don't know if I'd really want to see MLS start handing out playoff advantage based on the All-Star <laughs> game. But for me, East versus West would at least be slightly more meaningful, but doesn't mean I would necessarily choose to watch anyways. <laughs> Fair enough. We should move on quickly. We've angered right, a lot yes. of people, I'm sure. You've alluded to it. We're going to do a little hot take segment before we get into Thorns. Uh I guess I'll go first on this one. Um, yeah, kick us off. I, I think this is the best Timbers team ever. I Boom. know. <laughs> I know that the Timbers made the MLS. I know the Timbers won MLS Cup in 2015. I know they made a run to the MLS Cup last season. Obviously, in 2015, they had a tremendous defense with with Borchers and Ridgewell. They had uh, a lot of different options in the attack with Valeri, Audi, Rodney Wallace. But I just don't think any of those teams compare to to the team right now. Um, I I think at its best, this Timbers team with Brian Fernandez in the attack, that addition, and putting that alongside Sebastian Blanco, Diego Valeri, having Chara in the midfield, having the defense solidified like it is right now, I I just don't even see a comparison. I don't think that there's been any other Timbers team uh, that comes close to how good this team is right now. 
So no pressure, but now they have to win the MLS Cup because Jamie says they're the best Timbers team. But the ever. league, I mean, the league is also better too. To be so, fair, yeah. And that was that was my question. So you're saying in terms of like player for player, team for team, this is the best team ever, but maybe not necessarily in terms of like the landscape no, around the no, team. No, I, I lied. I, I think that this is the best. Yeah, I think this team is still the best in comparison to the teams around them as well. Um, okay. I'm going to make it as hot as I possibly can. I, I, I don't, <laughs> Scorching. But I don't necessarily think winning MLS Cup is going to be the bar that proves or disproves that. Because I, I think, to some degree, MLS Cup is just a little bit of a fluke. The Timbers of yeah. 2015, great run, good defense. But part I, I remember talking about midway through the 2015 season, like... Are they going to have to just completely blow up this roster? Are they could yeah. Caleb Porter get fired? <laughs> we were talking about whether Caleb Porter would be fired, and yeah. then he won the MLS Cup. And then he won MLS Cup. So I, I just think that that team, to some degree, outplayed how good it actually was. Um, I, I think it clearly was good, but it, a lot of it was just playing the best soccer at the right time. Mm, I think yeah. even compared to the landscape of the teams around them, this Timbers team is better. Um, just... This is a team okay. that should make a run, and maybe they won't because anything can happen in the playoffs. I'm trying to remember what is the highest that the Timbers have finished in the regular season? First, Didn't they first they, in the West? Yeah, they were first in the West. They've never oh. been a supporter shield, but first in the West. So, uh, so, yeah, you're, so get, you're asking if they finish second or th- I'm, I'm so based on the hotness of this take, which is just like a ghost pepper of a take right now. So they should finish first in the West at the end of the season, is what you're saying. This could be the best Timbers team, and LAFC maybe could be this is the best LAFC team, too. Well, yeah, they didn't exist until a couple years so ago. I, but yeah. I, I'm pretty strong on LAFC, but I, I think right now, if, if it was how things should turn up turn out, I think they should finish second in the West. Okay, so cumulatively, there might be one team that's better, but in terms of the rest of the teams, the Timbers is better than the rest of the teams. At least more in the West. so than in, in the past. Okay, yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah, I think because I think even in some of the years where they finished first in the West, it it it, it didn't feel quite as decisive. I, I, I mean, know, and, and the West has kind of there was a point where the West wasn't as good yeah. as the rest of the league, but then. You know, there were the times where the West was clearly way better than the East. So there's always sort of an ebb and a flow. Yeah, Yeah, I think it's difficult to compare past teams to current teams, but I'll give it to you. I think that is a hot take. So (laughs) job done. All right. (laughs) So I I guess it's my turn for hot take. And I'm going to be honest, I didn't really think of one. But today, as we were recording, Jill Ellis has stepped down as the head coach of the U.S. Women's National Team. So I'm still reeling from this news. <laughs> and I was sort of thinking about who should replace Jill Ellis as the coach of the U.S. Women's National Team. And I think U.S. Soccer should give a call to Mark Parsons. And this is a hot take because I know that Thorns fans are probably just upset at the thought of this even happening. But I think if you look around the NWSL, Mark Parsons is someone who has obviously shown that tactically he knows what he's doing and he knows how to manage games. He can manage players. He also develops young players and brings them into the fold, which... You know, I think Laura Harvey is another coach that gets talked about a lot, but 
I don't think she has the same ability to kind of work with young players and develop them the way that Mark Parsons does. So if the NWSL is kind of where the U.S. national team is taking their players from, I would think that it's also a resource where U.S. soccer should be looking at the coaches and considering these are the coaches who can play an important role for the Federation in the future. If there's a knock against Mark Parsons, I think it's that the Thorns are sort of the powerhouse of the NWSL. The Thorns have no problems attracting talent. My counterpoint to that is that the U.S. is the thorns of international (laughs) soccer. The U.S. has all the talent you could ask for. And Mark Parsons clearly knows how to deal with players who are used to being stars, players who are very high profile. I think it could be a good fit. I'm not saying that I think he should replace Jill Ellis. If I were going to pick who I think it should be, My money is on Tony Gustafsson. He has been the assistant under Jill Ellis. He's the guy that when you're watching games, he's the one giving directions to players. He's the one who's always in Jill Ellis's ear. So I think it's Tony Gustafsson's job to turn down at this point. But I think that U.S. soccer should at least be talking to Mark Parsons about maybe an assistant job. Maybe he could be groomed into a national team job. I just think they at least need to look at him. What U.S. Soccer has said is that they first need to hire this new women's GM, and then the search process is going to begin, and the GM is going to make the decision. We don't know yet who the GM is going to be, but I think that person should interview Mark Parsons and at least talk to him. So, sorry, Thorns fans, (laughs) but I don't think he can stay in Portland forever. Yeah, and I, I think his uh, what he did with Washington is another point towards what he can do with a team that's not doesn't have the same resources because he, he brought them to the playoffs as well. Um, I don't think that's a bad take. I, I, I do think if they're looking at WSL, we're going to see them looking at uh, Laura Harvier, um, Vlatko Andonovsky. Uh, I just I just think those two would both be ahead of Mark. Ooh, I disagree. I think that's a hot take. Is it? Maybe. <laughs> well, I, I mean, Laura Harvey is a really good coach and I think she is actually maybe her GM skills are kind of the more (laughs) interesting thing about her the way she acquires talent her creativity and some of the trades that she sets up but I do think if you're going to come into a position like that you have to be able to develop young players and we see Mark do that a lot he has brought in players who were undrafted and has sort of helped them along to become players who are starting in the NWSL. And I think he takes a lot of pride in that. And his background is, you know, he he was a youth coach for Chelsea. And at the Washington Spirit, before he got that job, he was working with the reserve team. He has an ability to work with young players. I think that's important in a role like with the U.S. Women's National Team, because what we've seen, Jill Ellis has had her critics, but I think one of the things she got right going into this World Cup was finding younger players and sort of developing them and bringing them into the program. So I do think that Vlaco is uh, another good option. I definitely think that Vlaco and Laura Harvey would be up for the job as well. I just think based on what I've seen, Mark Parsons seems like the better fit to me, but we'll see. They've got to hire a GM and then... I guess we'll start hearing some stuff. So something to look forward to. All right. Well, before Mark Parsons goes off to the U.S. Women's (laughs) National Team, um, 
He's been coaching the Thorns, as you mentioned, and, and the Thorns, just like the Timbers, actually outdid the Timbers. They beat Houston this weekend, uh, or I guess it was last Wednesday, uh, 5-0 to zero at home. I predicted a 3-1 win with the Haran goal. I don't feel that bad about that. I got the win. I got that it wouldn't be a super close win. I did not get 5-0, and Haran did score, so... I will. I will give myself a, a small pat on the back for that, but but don't feel. It has to be too very small. Yeah. yeah, I don't know if you got the feel of the game at no, all, but probably you know, not. We'll, Ty, we'll start, tiny pat on the back. <laughs> yeah, we'll start arguing that when we figure out the point system. <laughs> um, you got. You said one zero win, so so probably even a less of a pat on the back. Um, and Heath assist. You, I think you said an assist on the goal. She she did get an assist. I, I wasn't sure if you said goal or assist. I was trying to remember. Um, no, so, she got an. Yeah, I said she was going to get got, an assist. So she got, yeah. I think, two assists in the game. So you got our side bets were pretty um, ice on cold the money. side bets. Yeah, definitely not hard. Uh, didn't you know shoot for the moon there? So, um, <laughs> but I don't think either of us got the feel of the game. What did happen? It was the Thorns scored four goals in less than thirty minutes. Um, Crazy. Why? Why did this happen? Does it speak to? Portland's talent or or just how bad Houston is on defense so we're gonna reach a point where I can't use this as an excuse anymore but I'm just gonna pull it out one more time which is that I was in France for a month so I wasn't really maybe up to date on the Houston dash and they were terrible they were (laughs) so much worse than I expected them to be I mean if you make two subs a half hour into a game that is never a good sign Things were just unraveling for the dash. I mean, they had no defensive shape. They looked like they were scrambling every time the Thorns got into space. At one point, they shifted because Klingenberg and Heath were generating so much on that side that they overcorrected and tried to stop them. And then Haley Rasso was just kind of hanging out by herself. And then she (laughs) scored. I mean, it was just, it was so bad. And... That's not to take anything away from the Thorns. I mean, they're a really good team. They have a lot of great attackers, great talent. But the Dash were just terrible. I mean, I don't know how to sugarcoat it. And I'm I'm not even sure what we really should take away from this game because I thought the Dash were that bad. Yeah, I think I turned to someone in the press box about 30 minutes in and said, it feels like the Thorns are playing a high school team <laughs> right now. Um, I absolutely agree with that. They had no ability to to mark. I, I mean, they're de- like, the defensive shape, I, I just don't know what they were doing. The amount of players, Haley Rasso, both her goals were completely wide open. Um They just didn't seem to know what to do when the Thorns got the ball in the attack. And yes, the Thorns were creating opportunities in the attack they they were finding uh, ways to put together good passes but uh against a professional team it should not have been that easy um so i i would yeah. agree with that that it's hard to read how much this game means because even against weak teams even against sky blue this weekend you would think that the thorns <laughs> are going to have a little bit more trouble than you would than they think had a- and hope. Yeah. I mean, the the crazy thing about that game was 5 to 0. It could have been 8 to 0. Like, let's just oh, be yeah. honest. It could have been so much worse. Yeah, and talking about it, <laughs> talking about the potential for it to be 8 to 0. Um I definitely want to talk to, about this. We got a question from someone who goes by All Hail Tobin Heath. So <laughs> great uh, name. Great name. Um <laughs> 
wants to know where did Lindsay Horan learn that bicycle kick and when will she do it again? Well, didn't she say uh, after the game that when she was young, she used to practice uh, bicycle kicks yeah. and she had been sort of waiting for that moment in her life where, where she could do that. I just want to say Jane Campbell, the goalkeeper for the dash, she had a terrible game. She let in so many goals. Why save that one? Like, just let it happen. It's an amazing goal. Yeah, I, I, I was actually pretty annoyed that she saved that. Of all the goals that she could have not saved. I mean, um, I, I, I would disagree that she had a terrible game. I think she had a terrible game in terms of her stats. But I actually think she made a lot of good saves. And I agree that I, I wish that, that it hadn't been on that one. But I, I think that... It could have been, like you said, 8 nothing, 10 nothing. if Jane Campbell hadn't actually made a number of good saves in that game. Yeah, I think Jane Campbell is someone who, for a while, there had been talk of her being sort of next in line for the U.S. Yeah. Women's National Team. She has not had a good, I would say, year and a half at this point. Yeah. Um, she can come up with big saves. She's done it. I think that's why she was identified as someone who was in the discussion for the U.S. Women's National Team and was getting call-ups. But she is not consistent. And, you know, if you look at her stats for the season, her her uh, saves percentage, it's just not very good. So yeah, from absolutely. that standpoint, as someone who has let in her share of goals – I don't know why uh, she had saved <laughs> that bike that bike kick because that would have been the goal of the season and everyone loves a good bike kick you know I, so I think that might have been the goal of the NWSL yeah like not just the season I, I mean I, Michelle Betos's header might be the goal of the NWSL right now <laughs> that just was amazing a, yes yeah 2015 because she wins the game and it's a goalkeeper but um or I maybe even just tied the game but either way last minute goal um but yeah, I, I was so that was one of the coolest moments I've seen live. And I was so disappointed not to see that kick go in. I think Lindsay said that she um, will practice volleys, maybe not bikes, but she'll she'll practice yeah, volleys. Side volleys. Yeah. And Mark will say, you don't you don't need to work on that. Like, don't do that. You're going to like hurt yourself because you're throwing your body on the ground and stuff like that. And um, she scored a volley in the NWSL championship in 2017. And ever since then, she's been like, see, Mark, you got to let me practice. So maybe, <laughs> yeah, maybe, bikes. maybe they'll build in a uh, bicycle kick since practices. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, the, the thing about a goal like that too, is that I don't think those opportunities actually come up that often because yeah. like, what was the score at that point? I mean, it wasn't close and that's no. the only sort of thing you try when it doesn't <laughs> matter. Like, if that exact ball comes up in a 0-0 game, I don't think that's what she does. So that's another reason why it's kind of maybe a little disappointing that it got saved. Because you yeah. don't know when an opportunity like that is going to come around again, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so the Thorns are still in first place with that win. Uh, they are ahead of North Carolina, holding on to the lead in the NWSL Shield race. We saw the lineup information they used uh, against... Houston, uh, going back to four in the back, um, having Caitlin Ford on the bench and not in the lineup. Do you think this is what they're going to continue going with? No, I, th I think that Caitlin Ford is going to uh, reclaim her starting spot. And I think someone asked a question about that. Uh, yes, NWSL tech support asked, has Purse taken Ford's starting role? I personally don't think so. I think that Midge Purse has been pretty productive during uh, the World Cup. I think she stepped up. She's definitely made a leap forward. 
But if I'm thinking about who I think the better player is, I still think that it's Caitlin Ford. And I think both of them have maybe been a little inconsistent. But I think Ford maybe brings more in terms of the rest of her game. Um, I mean, Mitch Purse, I think, is someone who can continue pushing and sort of um, solidifying a spot for herself. Um, And one of the questions I think we have here, I'll just keep uh keep checking them off is someone asked when the u.s women's national team leaves again which thorns player has the most to gain from performing well and i still think it's midge purse i think that she has been showing that she can improve and that she's eager to improve i want to see a little more from her game in terms of maybe a little more dynamism better finishing more consistency I think that she wants to get better, and that's a really great sign. I don't know that she has surpassed a player like Caitlin Ford yet. So um, I, I don't expect that this is going to be the starting lineup going forward. But, I mean, these things can change. And I think the fact that the victory tour is coming up and there is going to be more opportunities for players, I think that can maybe change the pecking order a little bit. But, yeah, I, I think that it can still change. I think it's Midge Purse's spot for the moment. I, I think given her performance during the World Cup period, Mark Parsons can't just take that away from her. And, and Caitlin Ford's sort of been the odd player out because Haley Rosso has come in and scored three goals in um, three games. And you're not going to take her out after that. You're obviously not going to take Tobin Heath out. Um, and, and so it really is, like you said, a competition between Midge Purse and Caitlin Ford. And I would agree that I think in the long run, Caitlin Ford might be the one that wins that out. And, and in playoffs, the, that is going to might be the player in the lineup and Midge Purse could be coming off the bench. But I think Mark is at least going to give Midge a few more games to see if she can claim that spot because I, I think she er- has earned that after what she did during the World Cup period. Um, I would agree with you that when the U.S. players are gone in this game against Sky Blue this weekend, who has the most to gain is either Midge Purse or Caitlin Ford, because I mm, think right yeah. now they are in direct competition for that. And, and it feels sort of as if Haley Rosso has come in and sort of reclaimed that starting role. So it, it mm-hmm. feels like the competition is between those two players. And this is the type of game where probably both of them are going to be in the lineup to sort of see how where both of them are at it and maybe who should be in the starting 11 moving forward yeah and I think that Mark Parsons is the kind of coach that wants to reward players who are working hard and putting in good performances I think that's an important part of his coaching style is that every player has the opportunity um it doesn't I mean the Thorns have a lot of stars that you sort of expect to play every game, but I think it feels less automatic under Mark Parsons than maybe it did under previous coaches. And Mark talks a lot about players having the opportunities. It's in their control. It's up to them if they are going to be starting. And just another reason why he would be a great U.S. Women's National Team coach. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, Hopefully they do call him because that would be... You could write the longest article on it. (laughs) Um, I'll be the expert, yeah. So we we talked a little about, like you said, who has the most to gain. So let's talk about this Sky Blue game. The Thorns play Sky Blue Saturday uh, at home, 8 p.m. Like we said, the U.S. Women's National Team players will be gone for this game. It's the only victory tour game that's outside international window. So 
Mark Parsons at least was hopeful that this would be the only game for the remainder of the season the mm-hmm. U.S. Women's National Team players miss. Um, but how do you feel about U.S. soccer just deciding that this was going to be the first game, not waiting till that first international window? So I'm going to share an opinion that I know is unpopular. Please, please don't yell at me. <laughs> and I know everyone disagrees with me, but I'm, I'm going to say it anyway because it's how I feel. And now that I'm on a podcast, I guess I have to be honest. It doesn't really bother me because U.S. soccer runs the NWSL. They are the operator of the league. They provide the front office, essentially. They provide all the funding for the league to exist. And it is this precarious sort of dance between U.S. soccer running this league and then practically forgetting that it exists sometimes. So I would like to see U.S. soccer do more to support the league and set it up for success. But I think if, because of scheduling, you know, finding venues, having, um, you know, players available, if they determine that they have to play outside a FIFA window and take players away for one game, personally, I don't really have a problem with that. I know a lot of people do, and I understand why they do. And I think in the past, it's been a bigger problem where it was sort of a constant thing, and it was sort of like well, how can the NWSL exist if the national team is just constantly pulling players away? I think for one game, it's not that big of a deal. I mean, in the past, it used to be so much worse, and it was actually incredibly disruptive to the NWSL. It's definitely not ideal. I would have liked to see them maybe figure out a way to do it in FIFA windows, which was the plan, which was what they were supposed to do. I have to believe if they didn't do that, because that was the agreement that they set. It's in the CBA. It's what they talked about, having those games in FIFA breaks. If they went outside of FIFA break, I think it's because it wasn't going to work otherwise. And victory tour games are important for bringing new fans into the fold, helping grow the fan base, growing soccer. I think there are a lot of benefits to the Victory Tour games, and they're not just sort of these waste-of-time glorified friendlies that I think a lot of people think they are. I do think they serve a purpose. So for me, it doesn't upset me that much. I know that a lot of people disagree with me, and they're going to be mad at me, but I'm just being honest. So please don't yell at me (laughs) (laughs) i feel i feel a lot better about um this year and how it's set up than 2015 i I think they have done a better job at not trying to disrupt the nwsl i still think this is something that could have been better planned in advance maybe in discussions with the nwsl trying to get this to be a bye weekend um having more of a plan of when these dates were going to happen uh, to potentially work with the league a little bit more. And I do feel like that pre-planning doesn't happen as much as it should. Mm-hmm. Um, but given that it's one game versus and the other four games supposedly aren't going to impact the league, I, I do feel at least a lot better about it uh, than I did in 2015, even though I, I do think with, with, I think, 10 games left in the NWSL season, it's it's not ideal to have these players still coming in and out. Yeah, I mean... I think what I would also say is look at the rest of the way U.S. soccer does things. I mean, organization, planning ahead, making decisions we can all understand is not their strong suit. So why would this be any different? You know what I mean? Like we just spent the last two days, I mean, at least me personally, with uh, Carlos Cordero's letter talking about equal pay. Um, There's just constantly all these other issues going on 
with the Federation, they have, it feels like they have a million plates spinning in the air and, you know, they don't always plan things out in the way that you would hope. So this is just another one of those (laughs) things that they haven't maybe necessarily thought about in the way that you would hope they did. Yeah. So one more thing I wanted to hit about the Sky Blue game before we get to um, a few listener questions. Uh, This is from just their handle just is called NWSL tech support. Um, clearly an NWSL fan. Uh, they yeah. want to know is the sky blue game coming up after a five zero win and, and coming up before a big game against North Carolina, a trap game for the thorns. And do you think did the port, did the Portland have any problems against Houston that uh, sky blue can exploit? They didn't have any problems yeah. against Houston. Right. That's, right. Right. that's for sure. Uh, that's an easy one. Um, is it a trap game? I don't really think so because because we just you know as we just talked about national team players are going to be coming in and out. I think that does create a dynamic where you're not really getting into a rut maybe or kind of thinking ahead in terms of okay we have this game and this game and this game you're going to have different players coming in players who want to be able to prove themselves um I just think that that weirdness in the scheduling in the season kind of helps the thorns kind of focus on the game ahead of them and not look ahead and take a game for granted yeah I I I would agree I I think given the lineup we're going to expect from this game and how that's sort of going to be a change from last game. I, I, I don't see this as a trap game. Obviously the thorns have to play their game. They can't play down to sky blues level, uh, yeah. but I don't see it as like a trap game because of the result versus Houston. It, it's more about the opponent and making sure that they take them seriously. And I think given that some players do have something to prove here, especially with the U S women's national team players out that they will. Um, so We'll see. We'll see what happens. The Thorns have certainly had some poor performances against Sky Blue in the past, but this is a winnable game. They're going to have a slightly different lineup, but this lineup's going to be fully capable of beating Sky Blue. And I, I don't think the results or the games coming up are going to really change that. It's just whether Thorns on that day can play the game they want to play. I agree. All right. One, I guess we have one listener question because we hit one before. Jeffrey wants to know, why not use Andresinha as a late sub for Christine Sinclair in the number 10 spot where she can show her real talent? She gets lost in the defensive midfield position. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a good question for Mark. I think Andresinha has never really sort of settled into a spot for the Thorns. I mean, they've tried her as a winger. They've tried her in a more defensive role. I think that Mark has been trying to find a place for her, and it hasn't really worked because, I mean, she is a number 10. I think that's where she belongs. That's where she should play. Part of me wonders, you know, with the national team for Brazil, they have a lot of playmaking talent. I wonder if part of it potentially could be, you know, her looking to expand her skill set and kind of find a place with the Brazilian national team. Um, Another piece of news that was announced today, Pia Sunhaga, former U.S. women's national team coach, has now taken over the Brazilian national team. And that's 
that's going to be interesting because I think that Pia is going to do some different things and it's going to shake things up for Brazil. And maybe that's a new opportunity for Andresinha to solidify her spot with the team. But I sort of wonder if maybe, you know, with the World Cup approaching, maybe um, she was looking to sort of expand her ability to play different positions, you know. I don't really know. I'm just sort of guessing. I mean, that's really a question for Mark, or maybe you have different thoughts. I'm not really sure. I, I mean, I thought you answered that pretty well. I I don't know why Andresinha is on this roster. I, yeah. I just don't think she fits into this team, and I, I think that was clear last year. I mean, she's a <laughs> yeah, good player. Yeah, she was the player that we talked about yeah. maybe leaving in the offseason, over right? And because over she again. didn't. Yeah, she didn't have a place for this team, and I was actually sort of shocked yeah. that she was still on this team for 2019. Yeah, I, I, I am shocked, too. I, I just don't think she fits. I think the Thorns, in the position that she is most natural at, the Thorns have better options and better fits. And, and so she gets thrown in things like coming in in defensive midfield. Um, but they don't really need her to necessarily come into the number 10 spot as a late-game substitute. That's probably not what they're going to be looking for. Late-game, they're probably looking for a forward that's going to come in and score goals, or they're looking for a defender to come in and, and sort of solidify the game, make sure they can grind it out. I, I don't necessarily see them as needing someone to come in and be that playmaker late in the game. That's not usually a late-game substitute type of thing. And obviously... Yeah. Haran can just move into that role if they need it, if they need to shuffle things around late, mm-hmm. uh, can just move a little bit higher up. So I just don't see where she fits as a sub off the bench, and I don't see where she fits in the lineup when this team's at full strength. So yeah. I'm still surprised they brought her back. I will be surprised if she comes back next year, unless she just really loves the training environment. I, I just I think as an asset uh, to to be very, like, GM soccer minded <laughs> she it seems like it would make a lot of sense to trade her because she yeah. has value and I, I just don't see where she fits into this team yeah I mean especially with the Olympics coming up and with like I said Pia Sunhaga taking over as coach Pia is a very decisive sort of coach she's going to come in there with ideas about who should be in that lineup and where they should play this is an opportunity for Andresinha to kind of show what she can do and I, I think she probably will want to be on a club where she's getting minutes and she's playing in her best position. And from that standpoint, that's part of why um, I I was surprised that she stayed on the thorns. I I know that there was a loan uh, so she could get more playing time, but short term, long term, it just doesn't really make sense that she's on the roster. There's just not a spot for her. Yeah, um, I I absolutely agree Um, on that you know, happy note about a player on the thorns. She is someone who could get playing time this weekend. Uh, let's talk about <laughs> predictions. Uh, okay. Thorns versus Sky Blue. Um, some of those players, Andresina could come in. We talked about Caitlin Ford. We talked about Midge Purse and what they have to gain here. We talked about this maybe being a trap game. What do you think is going to happen? So I, uh, I don't know how I arrived at this, but I wrote a 2-0 win with a Tyler Lucy header. I'm going for <laughs> difficulty, not just a goal. I'm saying that's a header. So if I get that right and if we do start giving out points, I should get a lot. Yeah, the, the header part, I think, would definitely add to it. I <laughs> am going to go with, I don't know how, the high, how high of difficulty this is going to be. You can decide. Uh, I'm going to go with a 3-0 win. I think it's going to be even a little bit more decisive. And instead of going with a Midge Purse goal, I'm going to go with a Midge Purse brace. Mm. Okay. 
that, that pushes the a, level. Yeah, a brace isn't an easy thing to yeah. get or predict. <laughs> so yeah, I think I think it's pretty. D- Mine is more difficult. Yeah. just for the record, we'll but, need to yeah. <laughs> we'll need to work out a point system. <laughs> we need a rubric or something. Yeah, for the curve. Yeah. All right, Timbers at Minnesota. Uh, that's on Sunday in MLS play. Um, oh, I didn't even think about this. Um, I'm going to say a 2-2 draw. I'm doing this on the fly. I forgot to do this. 2-2 draw. And then I'm going to say that the Loons are going to concede a penalty and Diego Valeri is going to score. All right. Very specific again. So we'll see. Watch Diego Valeri <laughs> hand the penalty away to like Sebastian oh my God. <laughs> yeah. That would be crazy. Um, I am going to, I'm, I'm sort of questioning everything I wrote down here now that I'm thinking about that, that Wednesday game. Yeah. Um, but the Timbers have been good on the road, so I'll stick with the result. I'm going to say a 2-1 win. Um, I had set a Fernandez goal, but I'm now thinking that they might do some rotation. And, and so I'm going to change that to an Abobasi goal. He, he's been playing well, okay. and I think if they rotate, um, they'll probably have him if they want to rotate Fernandez out, they'll probably have a Bobasi at the nine for, for one game and Fernandez at, for the other. So uh, I think that could happen. Yeah. <laughs> I think yours has a higher likelihood of happening, honestly. Yeah, not, so, not a higher level so from, Yeah, <laughs> but it's a good bet. I mean, you might actually get that right. I, I'm actually, now that I'm looking at it, I'm feeling like 2-2 is maybe a little high. I feel like it could be a lower scoring game. Um, but maybe not. I mean, I don't know. As we established last week, I'm bad at predictions. Well, so. I, as we established last <laughs> week, both of us clearly <laughs> need, yeah. to, need to spend some time working on those. But we'll see. <laughs> we'll see if we can rebound this week. Um, let's hit the fantasy update. Uh, some people that actually are good at predicting things. Yeah. Uh, in our head-to-head <laughs> league, third place, we have Timbers Beast. That's Mac F. Second place, King of Thunder. That is Clay. And first place, uh, this is Mark, who is the one that runs the Fantasy League for us. So he is doing very well in playing Fantasy as well. Uh, we That's Flicking Portland PTSC. Um, and then in our Open League, uh, Luke score more goals. Third place, that's Robert. Second place, the Wolferhampton Wolfs. Uh, that's Denarcy. And in first place, Portland Tobin FC. Uh, that's B. I, I still like that name. I like all the Portland. I don't know why. It's so simple, but I like it. Uh, I like the creativity. <laughs> all right. We went a little long today, but yeah. uh, there was a lot to talk about. And uh, we'll probably work out our point system, figure out how we want to do with that, keep doing our predictions. Uh, but we will be back next week uh, for those listeners that want to tune in. You can find us every week on Oregon Live and Stumptown Footy. You can also subscribe on iTunes and Stitcher. And until next week... Take care.